0: reading from the Gospel of St. Luke in the 15th chapter, an age-old story. And he said, meaning Jesus, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together And he should say, parenthetically, there in all his wisdom. And went on a journey into the distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now with the heart of the father, hear this next part of the story. Now when the son had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him, as his father still yearns for his son. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. Please be seated. Please be seated. Continue to listen to the word and waiting for the rest of the scripture imagine the waiting of the father as all this was going on. A son who was in some place he knew not where living a life that was everything in contradictory to what he had been taught. A son who had basically turned his back on his father and on his ways and on his faith. Imagine the hurt As a father waited, waiting for us to hear yet the closure of a passage of Scripture, even for a few seconds, seems like a long time. Imagine the heart of the father who's waiting for word about whether his son is even alive. And yet, the scripture says, as he was coming to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your side, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. There was another son. An elder son. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what, what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son, he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet, you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine, Is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and he was lost, and he has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. We are aware as children of God. That when we come into the kingdom of God and are embraced by a heavenly father, it is out of the pure love of God that God so loved that he gave his son for us. And when we claim that for ourselves in the beginning, it's such a beautiful and powerful feeling and thought. When we hear our parents teach us these things when we're just this tall or when we're so small that we can hardly get words out, but we want to say them. Because there's something we need to say in the church family. And the congregation listens patiently for this young child to get out his words. And we patiently teach our young youth what it means to be a follower of Christ. What it means to be a disciple. We share with them the gospel and when we ask them to proclaim their own faith. And as young teenage boys and girls, they make that decision or sometimes they do it in between the time we, what we call confirmation and otherwise, it is, as young children 10 or 11 years old, they, they hear the call and they want to come to the God who loves them. And we just thrilled with that thought that they have understood enough to respond this idea that God loves them, how powerful that feeling is. And right, the thought right next to the idea of God's great love for humankind is the next thought. God is like that father who has been waiting for us to come, yearning, desiring to express his love and forgiveness, to take away the hurtful past, to remember any wrongs done by him and stand us right in his presence, upright, not because of our own goodness, but because of the loving forgiveness of the God who created us. The patience of waiting for us becomes more and more understood as we get older in the faith. The desire to appropriate that love that God gives us and the desire to be more like Jesus, forgiving of all those who might hurt us, becomes the most powerful desire in our life when all things are as they should be. Now, at times in our lives, we sometimes forget this very basic identity of a follower of Christ, one who is both loving of God and equally loving of others, and one who is forgiving of himself and forgiving of others who have hurt him or who stand against God. This idea of loving and forgiving are so common to one another, you literally cannot have either without the other. You cannot be loving without forgiving. You cannot be forgiving without love. You cannot really separate them from who God is and you cannot separate them from how we live if you are a follower of Christ. At any and every time in which we take a position of unforgiveness in our lives, then we have put an obstacle between us and that ever-flowing grace of God that is streaming toward us. We have endangered our soul. We have attempted like a small child to reach out and hurt the one who has hurt us. And in so doing... We have built mountains of resentment and anger inside us, and we have allowed them to fester because someone has hurt us so deeply that we just cannot forgive them. Or is it that we just will not forgive them? And you think, now, preacher, you're getting on tender territory here. You know, some hurts that we can forgive give anyone would be able to handle and forgive, but some hurts are so deep and so painful that forgiveness is just something that's very hard for us to find. I understand that. I think I understand that pretty well. But to be like Christ and to be a follower of Christ, we always know, even in the midst of our unforgiveness, that we have been called to be forgiving. So the question is this morning for me is, who are we really as Christians? Is are we really loving and are we really forgiving? Now there are so many scriptures as I begin looking them up in my concordance, and are just running down all the texts and passages about forgiveness or forgiven or forgiving. It just kind of overwhelms you with the stories that are there. I tried to pick out some that I thought were. Very important. But the three points I I want us to grab a hold of today, this is one of those kind of three-point sermons with 97 points, is this. God in Christ forgives us. Therefore, we forgive each other in Christ, in the body of Christ. Therefore, we also forgive our debtors as God has forgiven our debts, even outside the body of Christ. I believe that is a simple kernel of the biblical journey that goes throughout the Scriptures. Now, I want to unpack that a little bit for you. That God understood our forgiveness and sought to forgive us is made clear in many places in the prophets, including Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four, where he says, I will forgive their iniquity, and then in that day I will forgive their sin and remember it no more. As in the old testament, the prophet Jeremiah, letting us know that God has a plan. And in that plan, He's going to send one, it says before that verse in 3134. That He's going to send one, the seed of one, who will bring about this very thing. And that is who Jesus was to become. Now, when we understand that, and then when we experience that love that God has for us, and when we accept him as our Savior, We know that we have been forgiven, and we feel the power of that forgiveness in our lives, that cleansing, that assurance that we are, though not worthy of God's forgiveness and love, receivers of God's forgiveness and love. And it should, and usually does, in its beginning of our understanding, overwhelm us. Now, there's an understanding of a child, there's an understanding of a youth, there's an understanding of an adult, but quite frankly, The older we get, the more we know we need forgiveness, right? That's why Paul called himself the chief sinner of all. The older we get and the closer we come to God, and the more we understand the Scriptures, the more we understand our sinful nature. Is that not right? Is that right? Is that true? Can somebody give me an amen? amen? Are you aware... As you grow older and as you understand sin, the more and more you need God's grace and that ever channeling flow of God's grace is coming down to just continually wash you. It's like a shower every hour. It washes away dirt, every cotton inside it, and in the graceful shower of God's forgiving love washes us clean continually, constantly as we stay into contact with God. Now when we have contract with God is broken, when something comes and takes us out of that process of grace, we get dirty, don't we? You know, I think I'm going to tell a story. Sally, could you close your ears? I don't have to ask. Sarah's homesick, and maybe she won't pull up this sermon and listen to it. <laughs> She's been down in her back. She's been to the doctor. She's had some surgical injection. She's still hurting, can't do much. Now, that's with three kids and a husband who needs to work for a living so they can keep sending her to the doctor. She's suffering, and I, my pain goes out for her. But yesterday, Sally and I went over. Sally did most of the work, and I made the supreme sacrifice and cleaned up the kitchen sink with the dirty dishes and unloaded the dishwasher. I just don't do dishes. I do a lot of other things, but I don't do dishes. But for her, I thought I needed to do something. But as they were talking about it, I, I overheard Sally asking her, when's the last time the children had a bath? Duh. well, that's too long. Now, can you imagine that little grimy Maddox running around the house not getting a bath regularly? I mean, he just gets sweaty, and, and make matters worse. When I came in worse, when I came in the house that day, I hadn't been over there in a few days. Everywhere, all the Miller women were down in all directions, and so when I walked in the house, uncharacteristically, Maddox looked at me And he just busted out laughing. He kept staring at me with that grin on his face. And then the little boy with nothing but a diaper on came running over to my arms, which he never does, ran into my arms, and when I picked him up and hugged him, that stinky little boy, he just laid his head down on my shoulder, and he never moved it. He's never, ever done that. I don't know if he just wanted me to know how dirty he was by smelling him. So that I bathed him. I don't know that. And don't tell Sarah, because Sally's probably not going to tell Sarah. Now, is Glenn, is Glenn back there? Oh, is, is Miller with you back there? Oh, that was a mistake, wasn't it? Okay, so Sarah's going to know. I love you anyway. But the point I'm making is that little boy who gets dirty all week long and doesn't have a shower is not the same little boy, but he's still very loving and needs to be loved even though he's not very clean. When that shower of grace doesn't come over us, when we block those channels of grace for, because of an unforgiving heart, we smell a lot worse than Maddox ever thought about smelling. And yet God still loves us. God still yearns for us to come back to him. His desire is for our forgiveness. He yearns to give us a spiritual bath. He, he is on fire to cleanse us. And so when we do anything to throw up a roadblock between us and that cleansing God wants to give us, we are in dangerous territory. Let's hear some more scripture. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. This is talking about Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. We just don't get grace, grace offered to us. It is lavished on us. It is overwhelmingly powerful. It is given without reserve. It is poured out upon us from a never-ending bucket of grace. It just washes us over and over and over again. We who are these people then get together as the body of Christ. And everyone knows is when the church gathered is gathered, in every committee, in every instance, love is always present with forgiveness, Right? You've never been part of a church where they fussed and fought and did practice unforgiveness among themselves, amongst all these people who've had the grace of God lavished upon them. You've never known any Christians to argue and act like non-Christians in church, have you? Yes, you. Thank you. <laughs> and we wonder sometimes why those who are not in the church but once were or tempted to leave. I remember once as a young man full of wisdom and smarts. I was 25 and so intelligent. And Sally and I had been working with the youth in a little hometown church of ours. And I remember the group had grown and we had hired somebody to do it professionally for a living. And we just kind of helped. And I remember sitting at a church council meeting. And we were talking about the youth group and the budget. And I can remember how one wise gentleman who was twice my age said something to the nature of, you know, half those kids we're feeding and taking care of aren't ours. By the grace of God, he lived many more years. (laughs) I almost came across the table. I couldn't believe it came out of his mouth, and I told him so in so many words. And I guarantee you when I thought about that, I was thinking, why am I going to this place? If those people are that stupid, see how my anger is taking over, my resentment at his lack of understanding of what the ministry was about, instead of trying to help him with that, no, I just wanted to punch him like the young man said today, you know? i leaving the church would have been a response that some have made in years past where they've been in churches where churches acted not like forgiving people, Now don't get me wrong. I understand normal disagreements. I understand living and letting live, and I understand that sometimes forgiveness is very difficult, and sometimes people say things they don't really mean. They just speak out loud and they should have been quiet. I understand all of that. But that does not wipe away the call and the necessity for us to be forgiving people, does it? Then he says in Ephesians 4:32, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other." just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. He says this to the church in Ephesians, but also the church at Colossae says this, Chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now he said this not only to, To the church at Ephesus, but also the church at Colossae. If he's had to say this twice, does that tell you that the early churches had some problems with forgiveness? Can I hear a yes? They can. They did. And they will. And they still do. Because just because we're converted doesn't mean that we keep the channels of God's forgiving, loving grace open all the time, does it? No. Because it's our right to be mad when somebody hurts us. It Feels good to be mad when somebody hurts us, and we want to get even. And even if we're praying for God to help them, we're wanting him to help them by hurting them. Come on, God, straighten this mess out. It's a partly a good answer. Asking God to act in your behalf for forgiveness is a good idea, but to act God to punish someone simply because they have hurt you is a bad idea, right? I got one really pretty weak amen out of that one. Because, you see, it's just not so natural for us to respond that way. But this problem with forgiveness is not a new problem. It's an old problem. And it's alive and well inside the church of Jesus Christ. Because people do hurt us. Anytime we're in community, anytime we're gathered with people involved in things that are important to us, we're going to have differences of opinions. And sometimes somebody's going to say something they don't even realize how much it hurts them, or how much they're hurting. Sometimes we catch someone at the worst moment of their week or their month or their year, and they say something that we just can't find it in our hearts to forgive until we remember that God forgave us, that God looked at us and continues to look at us and continues to forgive us as we struggle forward. Now, this story is the greatest story of forgiveness and meant to be total in this parable, this chapter that is all parable, to show us how God feels toward us. Like a father, God just doesn't have to forgive us. God just doesn't want to forgive us. He is eagerly waiting for us to turn and come home. And then God comes and meets us. God comes toward us. God just doesn't sit there. He's seeing that young son coming down the road going, well, it's about time. I hope you suffered enough. Because you would messed up bad. No, that's the po- posture for the older brother, right? The unforgiving one. Not the father. The one who took half of what he had away, he throws it all behind him. He runs out and rushes and get, takes what he has now and kills the fatty calf for him. He celebrates because he once was lost and now he's found. And his desire burned inside him to forgive him. And that, my friends, should be the stance of people in today's world. We should be burning up with a desire to forgive those who are far from the throne of God, who are far from the grace of God. We must be on fire to convey to them how much God loves them and how much God can forgive them. Regardless of how big that boatload of guilt is, God can tote it and sink it and replace it with a better boat. It is true that this same God who loves us exhibits that power and taught us that even when we pray but before we get to that lord's prayer forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who as we forgive those who trespass against us you get the connection now you know how to close the door on your own forgiveness all you have to do is be an unforgiving person you say yeah but i'm a christian so i'm still forgiven no you're not no you're not To the extent that you are unforgiving toward others, you are blocking the forgiveness and grace of God. It's a biblical concept from the words and mouth of Jesus. You'll be forgiven as you forgive others. He says it in a number of places. The Lord's Prayer just makes it so stark clear. And you say, but yeah, but that's really hard. You know how bad I've hurt? Luke chapter 23. Verse 24, in the process of being crucified, having been beaten, having had to carry his own cross when he was so weak he could hardly stand, to Golgotha, having his arms stretched out and pierced by nails, his legs as well to that cross, with all the humility and pain that we can't even imagine physically, what does Jesus say according to Luke? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When people hurt us, they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to take this to the nth degree. Even those terrorists who think they know what they're doing, they don't know what they're doing. They're killing God's children. They don't know what they were doing to those children when they orphaned them. They thought they were doing something for God. But it's certainly not the God that we know. But even for them, we need to desire to forgive them. Jesus said, Father, forgive these people who are killing me. He included the disciples who ran away. He was including the soldiers who didn't know a thing about him or his life. He's including Israel who had turned away from his witness. He was including us all. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And that just about sums it up. Forgiveness is needed when people are doing things and saying things that they don't even know what they're doing. Oh, I know. He knows better than that. No, they really don't. They know how to say ugly words. They know how to do hateful things. But if they really understood life and what it was made out of, they wouldn't be doing it to you. They are like blind oxen. They don't know what they're doing. And through the years, one of the things that's both broken my heart is when someone would come to me and say, Well, I, I'm not, I can't forgive him. I remember one poor saint who stood as a marker for my whole ministry. She just kept telling me over and over, week after week. She was in Bible study. We were going through the scriptures in a particular glass, and I, she kept saying at, at class break, well, that person hurt me so much. I said, yeah, I know. Boy, did I know. <laughs> I had held her hand for months and even years since that person had hurt her. In fact, the person that hurt her had already gone on beyond it. The person that hurt her hurt her son by leaving him. And she said, I can't forgive him. I said, but you have to. She said, but I can't. I wish I'd have known Dr. Seuss's poem. <laughs> but you don't because you won't. I'm probably never going to forget that line from Dr. Seuss if I don't remember any other. I don't know how many times I almost begged her. I said, don't you understand? You, you, you're a follower of Christ. This is bitterness and resentment is eating you up the woman you're so mad at has already married another man the son who got hurt so badly has already married another woman he's gone on with his life he's forgiven her and they've moved on the only one left standing at this place is you and you won't forgive she said i can't i can't now let's be real Sometimes we get hurt so deeply that it's very hard to do it, and certainly forgiveness doesn't come easy. I'm not saying that today. What I am saying is that there is a way we can be forgiven. I thought this sermon might come in two parts, and it just did. Uh, How can we be forgiven is going to be next week. (laughs) That's the backside, and I don't think that you can hear that enough. I think you might have enough right now. You're forgiven in Christ, right? God's forgiven you. You're one of God's children. In your household of God's children, which is the whole church, the communion of saints with all believers, you're forgiven. And you practice forgiveness. You've already heard the scriptures. And then you've heard how Jesus said upon the cross, Father, forgive those who seem to be unforgivable. You know that not only do we have to forgive Christians when they hurt us, our brothers and sisters, but we also have to forget anyone who hurts us, anyone who hurts those we love, anyone who does anything is worthy of forgiveness. Will that be easy? No, because now you're going to have to wait the next week to even understand how to do it. <laughs> but if you come back next week, we're going to talk about how you can be forgiven, how you must. Be forgiven if you want to keep following Christ. Your soul is at stake. The soul of others is at stake because they know you are a person of unforgiveness. Some of you say, well, I'm not coming back to hear that sermon because I don't want to forgive old (laughs) so-and-so. Well, I hope for your soul's sake you come back because there's not room in the heart of a follower of Christ for unforgiveness. You can't be one thing and act another way. I hope none of you are in that position. But I hope you also heard the first part of the sermon. That father had a great desire. The minute the son turned toward him and he could see him, he went to him. That's the beginning of being able to forgive somebody. It's when you desire to forgive them. And you've laid aside laid aside your own resentment and your own hurt. Remember that adulterous woman? Everybody picked up a rock and they were going to hit her with it and kill her for committing adultery. Trying to trap Jesus, they said, what do you say? And Jesus said, whoever among you, as he's riding in the dirt, no sin among you, you cast the first stone. The men looked at one another and One by one, they dropped those stones of anger and resentment until they all had gone. And then Jesus looked at the woman and says, woman, does no one condemn you? And she said, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. A powerful illustration of forgiveness. Jesus wanted to forgive her. He desired to forgive her. And he did it with an act of his mind, and he's put that same spirit in us. Thanks be to